welcome to my story, his story, our journey. This is Miss Mary here. Just welcoming all you listeners that are tuning in today to continue this very last journey with James and Jesus. So I just want to thank everybody that is tuning in and I just want to give the Lord a praise that uh, this now is airing in 11 different countries. Um, Let me just say hello to all those brothers and sisters in Christ that will be listening to this podcast. First, we have in the United States, Germany, Canada, Saudi Arabia, the Netherlands, the United Kingdom, Kenya, Australia, South Africa, India, and the very last country, making the 11th country that is listening now, is Brazil. So we just want to welcome them in, and we are so excited about learning God's Word with you, and I pray that you would continue to share this with all of your friends and family where you are located to be able to continue to reach those for Christ. We know how much he loves us, how much he loved the world, that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life, and that is found in John 3.16. So, we do serve a God of this entire world, with all of its countries included. So, we welcome you, you brothers and sisters out there that are listening. Uh, I also want to remind everybody that if you're following on Spotify, you will see that there is a follow button and also a bell. And if you click the bell, it will notify you every time one of these um, particular episodes is aired. They're genuinely aired every Tuesday unless something happens. And then I would probably air it on Wednesday. But I try my best to stick to our standard schedule of Tuesdays. So, once again, thank you for tuning in, and I will see you in my part of the story. Hello, and welcome to my part of the story. Well, here we are again, this Tuesday finishing up our journey with James and Jesus. I hope you have been as blessed by this particular journey as I have been. It has been very challenging as we have studied it and the things that we've read and the warnings that Jesus' half-brother James was giving us throughout the letter. And I need you to know that any time you would go into teaching or sharing a doctrinal truth as deep as we have been doing, you should know that it would be tested or put to the test. So just, I ask you to continue to pray for me and my family because as I've been teaching the book of James, there has been quite a few life-changing events that has been happening. And I don't find it just a coincidence. I don't believe in coincidences. I believe in God's ordained direction and ultimate control of my life. So it's interesting that as we would come up on this, and naturally, especially in chapter 1, 
as it says, consider it joy as you would come into various trials. So naturally, after learning something like this, don't be surprised if God may actually put that blessing in the word of God into action. And and I don't think he does it because he's a bad father. I think he does it because he's a good father. I think that oftentimes we learn specific lessons from God the Father and he will sit back and he will watch to see if we actually can apply these lessons that he's trying to teach us. And just like any good father, he watches us grow and he sees our weaknesses and he sees our strengths and and you know, God the Father has always been about loving us, leading us training us, teaching us, helping us be strong through his spirit. So if you come across the situation as you've been studying this and taking this journey with James and Jesus, uh, if you found yourself going through some trials, then maybe that's just God's way of seeing. How are you learning? How are you accepting my word? Are you using it? Are you putting it into play in your life? And are you stronger this time around than you were the last time around before you studied it again? And I can honestly say, yes. I've read the book of James before, and I've still struggled with trust. I don't know if you struggle with that, but I do. When I come up against trials, I start to panic first, and then then remember, wait a minute, I have a God and the Holy Spirit is here with me and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But I always had that panic a little bit beforehand or the worry phase. And I found myself not going all the way there this time and realizing like, hmm, okay, now I'm tired and it has been quite an experience. But I haven't went into panic mode, as I would call it, and I've realized that, okay, this is what it is, and this could be a trial, and Mary, as you teach this, how are you doing? Are you listening to God's voice as you teach it and share it with others? Have you been paying attention during this journey that you've been on? Are you going to be a little bit stronger this go-around? Well, I'm glad that he prepared me with the book of James. So either way, he either is allowing it to be tested to see if my faith has grown, to see if my trust in him has grown and gotten stronger, or maybe he laid the book of James on my heart to prepare me for what was coming. Either way, I do feel better this time around. I do trust him more, and I do have stronger faith. And I'm very curious about where God has taken my husband and I on another journey in our life with the situation that has come up. So please continue to pray for my husband and I and our family as Jesus has taken us on a journey in life that had a little bit of a curve and a bend in the road that we did not see coming. Well, we've now come to the very last journey in the book of James in chapter 5. 
And I pray that you're getting as much from this and I pray you're getting stronger. I pray that you are listening carefully to what James and Jesus is trying to teach you through this book. And I pray that you have been able to come out of it with a stronger faith and trust in God and also just an evaluation of your own heart and your own mind and ask yourself, do I see some of these weaknesses in me? Do I see some of these things that James has spoke about in the body? Have I been partial to a certain group of people? Have I used my tongue to cause division or problem? I pray that you examine all of everything from chapter 1 to chapter 5. And you would find yourself stronger. And you would find yourself more suitable. Uh, And when I say that, I say that to myself too. Because I often say, Lord, help me. Help me be a suitable servant. To be a suitable servant is going to be a person that God can use in a mighty, powerful way. So let us all pray that we are suitable servants, that we will be able to have an impact with our lives and our testimony to those that do not know Jesus Christ. Well, we're going to stop here for my part of the story, and I will see you in James chapter 5 in his part of the story. Thank you for joining me on his part of the story. So here we are in the very last chapter of our journey into the book of James. And we're just going to go ahead and dive in to God's word. And the heading of this particular chapter, this this particular part of this chapter says a warning to the rich. So we know we've had some encouragement in the first chapter we've had some warnings on our tongue we have some warnings on partiality toward people Um, and James is really summing up a lot of different things but we see here now where he's about to enter in speaking to a group of people that may believe that they are better than other people so let's go ahead and get started in chapter 5 verse 1 we're going to start and it says come now you rich weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you your riches have rotten and your garments are moth eaten your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire you have laid up treasure In the last days, behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. 
So we're going to stop there. We can hear here that James has a very strong warning to those that feel as if they have everything they need and they don't have a problem taking from those that are weaker. They either are holding back what the laborers deserve or they're being mistre- they're mistreating the people that work for them. And he's reminding them that you are fattening yourselves up. You're just laying up your treasures in the last days. But he says, it'll all be worth nothing. Your riches will rotten. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. He's painting a very bleak picture here of what money can do for you. You know, the old timers used to always say almost the same as Job said in the book of Job. Naked I come forth from the womb and naked shall I return. And you know, you would hear the old timers say there's one thing you won't never see is a U-Haul being pulled by a hearse. Where we go, we take none of it with us. So the question here would be, where do you hold your treasure? Is your treasure in your trinkets and in everything you feel you have worked for, that you have gained? Have you gained off the backs of those that have very little? Have you gained by mistreating those that even work for you? Do you pay people the wage in which they are worthy of? Hmm. He said, you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You know, just it's kind of like a cow that's just eating hay and eating hay and eating grain. You know, we own cows. And I always think about that, how we just feed them and feed them and feed them and we try to get them as big and fat as we can get them but there's only one reason for that that's usually to sell or to slaughter and to have meat you know we have some pet cows that we pretty much keep around the farm all the time and they just keep the the grass down for us and we have quite a few acres that we don't particularly want to mow and our grandchildren love the cows but the average person when they keep cows they keep them to sell them or to eat them and when they're out there grazing and eating and in the sun and enjoying themselves and some of them running and playing with each other they're so unaware of what lies ahead of them And sometimes we can just get so wrapped up in our earthly trinkets and treasures that we forget that it means absolutely nothing on the other side of this little vapor of a life that we're going to live. And then he speaks that you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. I think James is entering this group of people in here because he's reminding us, those that are righteous, that have a tendency to feel like, why is it 
that they always seem to have and gain and prosper while we struggle as believers. But there is a day of reckoning. There's a day coming. And I don't know about you, but I would rather live my life righteously on this side of heaven for that vapor of a time and allow the Lord to place me in a position of better living for eternity. Well, we're going to go ahead and go on to verse 7, and it's heading, Patience in Suffering. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brother, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed whom remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So now, James is bringing before the Messianic Jews and the Christian, Christian Jews the understanding of you can see these around you that have and gain and prosper. But he says, be patient. Our day is coming. Just like the farmer that waits on the precious fruits from the earth and even the rain, the late rains that bring that, that harvest you know, forward and, and helps our harvest grow. He says, be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord. It is at hand. And I truly believe that the Lord is more at hand right now than in the entire time of me being a Christian. I know we have said for years, people say, oh, he says he's coming back. He says he's coming back. Well, Jesus is going to come and he's going to come right on time. But I believe with everything in me, there is nothing stopping the rapture of the church from happening right now. Not one prophecy that has not been fulfilled that stops the rapture of this body of believers in this church out to him before the seven years of tribulation that will happen. And I'm ready. Yes, I would love to live this life down here, seeing my grandchildren grow, seeing them get married, all of that, but nothing is going to be more wonderful than joining my Lord in heaven. And I hope you're ready because it could be any moment when this church, his church is taken out of this world. And I don't even want to think about how evil and wicked it will become when you don't even have the Holy Spirit living inside of people that want to love God with all their heart, soul, and mind and love others as themselves. It will be pure wickedness. 
So he's saying, our time's coming. Our day's coming. Be patient. Wait on the Lord. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. He's reminding us, don't conduct yourself like the world. Don't grumble and complain with each other. This is when we need each other more than ever. We need to bind together in Christian and brotherly and sisterly love and be there for each other during these trying end times. He says, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. And again, we're seeing Job as we was, I was just talking of Job. He, you know, he really had a heart. If you have never read the book of Job, I would encourage you to go and read the book of Job because he went through some really tough, tough times. A lot of things happened to Job in such a short time. And you know, he never held God accountable. He never looked at God as if he was to blame. Now he did get to the point where he wished he'd never been born. (laughs) And he verbalized that. (laughs) But And I know I feel like that sometimes. Do you ever feel like, oh gosh, why was I ever born? But he was steadfast. He loved God. God said he was a righteous man. So we go on and he says, the purpose of the Lord, no, it's steadfast as Job. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Our day is coming. Brighter days are coming. But right now, while Satan's throwing those little fiery darts and doing his scheming against us, we may go through some trying times. But the Lord is at hand. Verse 12 says, But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. So I wonder why. Hmm. He's given a warning against the rich, the people that could possibly be persecuting the church and the ones that are less fortunate, or maybe even Christian believers that conduct themselves that way, that, you know, forget that all that they have, they only have because God allows them to have it. But he does switch it up here. He reminds us to be patient and wait on the Lord for our day is coming. But then he switches it up to a character. Again, he's trying to remind you of your character. And through all of this, how you should conduct yourself as a believer in Christ. He says, do not swear an oath by heaven or by earth. Or by any other. He says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Which he's saying here that regardless of whatever our situations are, what kind of character do you have? Like if someone would talk about you to someone else, could your words be trustworthy? I mean, do you have to prove yourself to somebody or does somebody know your character enough that if you say yes, they know it's truthful yes? That your yes is a yes. And your no is a no. 
you don't have to promise this you know a lot of people talk about this particular verse like if you you know new year's resolution you know like making promises and oaths that you're going to do something to be very careful god considers oaths you know he he made covenants and he made promises and you know he expects if you're going to make one you better be willing to follow it through and stick to it and if you don't really believe you can then i wouldn't make it because you should be known by your yes being your yes and your no being your no you should be a righteous person a person of honor and a person that is trustworthy to other people what kind of witness can we be for jesus christ if every other thing we're saying out of our mouth is a lie where does that leave the testimony of christ why should they believe anything that we have to say about jesus christ if on the average day they can catch us in a lie or we are not following through on what we have said we're going to do you know i think Jesus works on everybody with that as well, being trustworthy. And uh, it's hard. Sometimes it's hard because when you know that the Lord is working on you with being trustworthy, you can see Satan just throw all kind of fiery darts, (laughs) all kind of little schemes, everything coming up here and there. Like even when, you know, I hold myself at an accountability for Tuesdays and there is times that I literally, no matter how hard I try, something prevents it. And, you know, I've asked God to forgive me. I'm like, God, I'm so thankful that you know your servant's heart and you know how much I wanted to be there to do that. But again, something happened that held me up. But, you know, I saw that and I'm trying to think of what scripture that is and what book it was in. And I think I'll have to look that up and and tell you again on another episode. But even the angel said, I would have been here sooner if I had not been held up. And, And, you know, Satan will do that. Satan will do that. He knows how important your witness is. He knows how important your walk is. He knows how important your ministry is. And, uh... You know, he, he doesn't mind necessarily that you uh, read the Word of God. You know, I don't think he wants you to be strong. But, you know, he, he don't mind me feeling like I want to do a ministry. What he minds is when I follow through with it. I can want to do anything for the Lord. Or I can feel called by the Lord to do a specific ministry. But don't think he's just going to let sit by idly and let you always just have an easy you know smooth path especially if what you're doing is really making a difference for the kingdom of God so we always have to be prepared for some of those fiery darts and those schemes but we should always in the end be found faithful by our yes being our yes and our no being our no be a trustworthy person in the very last part of chapter 5 here it says the prayer of faith verse 13 is anyone among you suffering let him pray is anyone cheerful let him sing praise is anyone among you sick 
Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will rise, raise him up. And he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings him back, a sinner from his wandering, will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. What a beautiful reminder to finish up this journey with James and Jesus for him reminding us to be there for each other. He tells us about all this and what we should be doing, what we shouldn't be doing, and how to be strong. And he he just ends this beautiful letter with, if any of you are suffering, let him pray. You know, remember to pray for yourselves. Pray for each other. And if you are of good cheer, give praise and sing. And he says, if they're sick, take them to the elders. Let the elders of the church pray over them. And you know, I want to I want to point this out to you. I don't want people to get confused about what is being said here. It says, and the prayer and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. Notice when it says, and the Lord will raise him up. You need When we pray, we need to pray believing, but we need to say, not my will, but thine. We need to make sure when we're praying this prayer, because not everybody does get healed. And does that mean that God did not love them or did not want them? No, no, we don't know what God's plan is for that particular person. And just to add a little bit of commentary, right as I'm speaking of this, it says the prayer of faith, not the faith of the sick person, but the faith of those praying. In this instant, James mentions no requirement for the sick person to exercise faith, only that he call for the elders. Christians who are ill often find personal prayer difficult will save perhaps carries a double meaning here one the sick sick person will be physically healed or two the sick person may also experience spiritual salvation or growth in the blessing of salvation as seen throughout the gospels jesus healed both physically and spiritually in the same double uh, or the same phenomenation may be presented here as well. James is not teaching that all illnesses will be healed if people would simply call on the elders or try to make themselves have enough faith or pray with enough conviction. Healing, when it comes, is always a gift from God who is sovereign over all circumstances, including sicknesses and health. 
It does not follow, therefore, the lack of faith on the part of the sick person in this or person is the reason that the sick person may not be healed. On the gifts of faith and of healing, see the note in 1 Corinthians 12.9. Some interpreters suggest that James is referring to the promise of the resurrection rather than physical healing. If in the phrase, if he has committed sins, implies that not all sickness is connected to specific sins, though James seems to expect that some sickness is. So I just wanted to read that commentary part because in our part of the journey, I'm not going to be doing the commentary part. I have a very interesting thing that I'll be sharing with you on that. But I wanted to attach that because I need you to understand that it discourages people if they're very sick and they pray and they pray believing with everything in them. And then, you know, and then there's others that pray for them. And then the Lord decides to take them home. And then they just feel like their prayer, their prayers was not heard or God was just mean or did not answer. And that's not true. You know, you always got to remember that he says, and the Lord will raise him up. That could be by healing or he could take him home. But either way, if you pray for their suffering to be over or to end, then it has, and it could be a prayer to salvation even, which would be the ultimate gift. So, you know, He's just encouraging you to stay strong as a body, you know, and to be there for each other. And then it says the prayer of the righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he's reminding us with the prayer that Elijah had. He prayed so deeply from his heart and he desired it so much that God did answer that prayer specifically as to what he wanted but sovereignly God will always do the right thing you know one of the greatest things I've heard people say is God is good all the time God is good and God is good all the time and 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 he is we may not understand I have lost people to sickness and to passing but those that I've lost, I've the majority of them, I am 100% positive, opened their eyes in the face of Jesus. And I just know that that was God's sovereign decision at that time, that we can't understand all things. His ways are higher than our ways. So, you know, and then at the end of this, it says, my brothers, if anyone among you may wander from the truth and someone brings him back So he's showing a beautiful picture here of the brothers and sisters being accountable and and us looking out for each other. And if one has been broken or saddened and has pulled away from the church, find them, help them, pray with them, bring them into your arms of love and, and bring them back to the house of God where Satan cannot continually attack them without people being with them to help them. Uh, We all need each other. And he reminds us that if one brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. What a beautiful way to end this journey is to remind us who we are in Christ, how important we are as brothers and sisters, and to remember, you know, we really think Cain and Abel and 
Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? Yes, he most certainly was. And that statement alone that he had made to God was pretty sad and pretty obvious that he was not taking care of his brother. As a matter of fact, he was very jealous and it was the very first murder that was committed on this earth. But we are our brothers and sisters keepers. You know, if you think of living a life with your own family, earthly family, if your mother or your father looked at you and would look and say, you know, the street lights are on, I'm calling for you kids, where's your sister? Where's your brother? They expect you to know. They expect you to gather them and bring them. And God is the same. He says to look out after each other. We are not to attack each other. We are not to destroy each other and tear each other down. But we are here here together. And he has made us a family to build us up with each other. So my prayer would be that you would always find yourself wanting to build up and edify the body and to help those brothers and sisters in Christ rather than being the very voice that would destroy or the tongue that would set that fire ablaze. Well, we're going to end right there for his part of the story. And I'm very excited. Stick with me because after this short little advertisement, we will be back with our part of the journey. And I'm very excited to go over a few little things that I think you'll find very interesting. I will see you in our part of the journey. joining me in our part of the journey. So, like I said, instead of a wrap-it-up commentary, that's why I read just a little bit of that commentary uh, in chapter 5, because it was important to expand on that one point. But I was torn between reading the commentary part of chapter 5 and actually some background information about the actual letter of James. And I really wanted to talk about that part. Believe it or not, there's a little video that gives some background information about the letter of James and who wrote it, what it was written for, and what we can learn from it. And I just wish you could hear the whole thing. But what I've done is take some very um, clear notes from that very important video to just share with you. So... Here, this one's going to be a little bit like the Paul Harvey and the rest of the story. So here is the rest of the story of the concepts and the reasons behind the book of James. One thing I wanted to say is, did you know that James, we did talk about the fact that he was Jesus's half-brother. Okay, so he was Jesus's half-brother, but did you know that James is actually his English name. His Greek name is actually spelled I-A-K-O-B-O-S, which pronounced is Yakobosh. So that was his real name in the Greek, Yakobosh. And in Hebrew, it's Hebrew, I mean, it's Yaakov, Yaakov. 
and they say that you will see that that is written on the ancient and the modern readings that name is actually rendered as Jacob so once again like we had talked about Mary is in Miriam and um, a few of the other names that we had talked about how differently they are actually pronounced so the English name if you translate Jacobosh in its spelling into English then it would be James but in the actual Hebrew ancient scrolls and the modern readings they actually rendered James's name as Jacob there was a lot of Jacobs back then so it also goes on to say that the uh, he was the leader of the mother church of Jerusalem and it was mainly made up of mostly the Masonic Jew Jewish Christians um, but you got to know that at that time they were outcast from the regular uh, Messianic Jews, I mean the other Jews in their land. This was the Messianic Jews um, that actually professed to be Christians that made up that original church in his area. It was actually the very first church in uh, Jerusalem. And then it went on also to add that he was a peacemaker. James was actually, or Jacob, if you would like to call him that, was actually known as James the Just. And we did talk about that in one other episode, or maybe the beginning of this one, but I think it was in one other episode. Uh, It says he, in, in the overall part of this book, he wants to teach us and challenge us on how we are actually living out a godly life or a life as a believer or Christian. Um, He teaches uh, from his brothers, Jesus' teachings, specifically the Sermon on the Mount and the wisdom of the book of Proverbs they both grew up on. So it says that if you look carefully in the book of James, you will hear several um, comments that are made that you see that James's teaching was basically inspired and led by Jesus's, his brother's teaching from the Sermon on the Mount, which we happen to be actually studying in our, at our church right now on Sunday mornings. So this feels like a God-ordained moment that they crossed paths. But, um, and then he said also the wisdom from the book of Proverbs. So both of them grew up on the writings and the um, true wonderful truths that you will find in the book of Proverbs so you will see how James's character and what he was saying being led by the Holy Spirit came from the root of the Sermon on the Mount and the Proverbs and then it says there are um, they are short challenging wisdom speeches that are full of metaphors and easy-to-remember one-liners. And it says he wants the listeners to become truly wise by using Jesus' summary of the Torah. And that was when Jesus summarized it up, he said to love God and to love others, uh, your neighbors, as yourself. 
And then it goes on to say that chapters 2 through 5 have 12 short teachings about wholehearted devotion to Jesus. The first one was favoritism and love. It says we tend to show favor to people who benefit us. So he kind of starts out like if you look at chapter 2 through chapter 5, we, we do see when I quoted back like where we had been and what the format was that James was teaching he did speak quickly on our shortcomings and he says one of them is is that we have show favoritism and you know we have a tendency to do that to love the people or show favoritism to the people that can benefit us and that's something we really have to be honest about I don't think that God can change anything in us that we are not willing to confess. He says, confess with your mouth your sin, and he is faithful and just to forgive you of that sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So how do we get cleansed from that unrighteousness? We have to admit it. We have to admit that we have the tendencies to favor the people that we believe can benefit us. And I think that could go all the way from the pastor clear all the way down to one of the neediest persons in the church I mean does the pastor only lean toward the people that he believes are going to show up at the business meetings that's going to vote in the direction in which he would do do the deacons the trustee do the pillars of the church do they gather their little groups to try to maintain church control as if they had it to start with instead of God the Father? What about just the people that come in, go in and out every Sunday morning and Sunday evening? Do you have a tendency just to sit with those people that you feel are more like you and your clique rather than to share a moment with a person that maybe you never sat with talk to God made these people in his image and I believe each single person that is around us has something to offer something we can learn from something that we can share of our own character with them I tell these that to children in elementary school can we say that we're willing to step out of our comfort zone and be with a person that we normally would not talk to in the body of believers? Can you imagine having a brother or sister that you never speak to? Mm. And then it says also he shows what genuine faith looks like. And favoritism would not be that. Favoring somebody you know can benefit you or neglecting a person that maybe that can't benefit you, that actually is a needy person or a person that actually needs you. I don't know which one do you think falls more in line with Jesus' teaching? That love your neighbor as yourself. It says three times he speaks of our words, the tongue that can speak praises one minute 
and then evil, harsh words to another person the next. He said it should not be so. And then he spoke about judging people and talking behind their backs. Also, he distorted the truth to our also talking, using your tongue to distort the truth to our advantage. And he reminded us last in chapter 5 about let your yes be yes and your no be no, which is also using your words and your tongue as in how is your character? Are you a trustworthy person? Then he says he speaks of the kingdom status where the danger of wealth and arrogance starts to dismantle the church. Boy, this book is full of rich, rich information if it's studied in a whole. And this didn't just happen back then. This has continually happened through the ages. It wasn't new to them, and it's definitely not new to us. The further along we get closer to the end of times. Are we dismantling our church by only caring about the wealthy or caring so much about our wealth that we actually become arrogant we are to live with patience and hope for Jesus' return to set all things straight again he reminds us that everything he has said to you led by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through him that this is where we're going to wrap it up that we are to live with patience and hope for Jesus' return to set all things straight again that should inspire a life of faith-filled prayer. Well, we're going to need it. We need a lot of prayer. We need so much prayer that we will be able to follow through on these wonderful things that he wants us to do and to hold our sin nature at bay, to not do the things that are inappropriate for us as a brother and sister in Christ. It will require prayer. It will require praying out loud to the Holy Spirit of God to help you with this, because it will require Him to transform you to be able to resist the devil in our sin nature. And then it kind of ended the video saying it goes back to the introduction chapter. It sets up the backdrop for 2 through 5. So it actually in the video talked about chapter 2 through 5 and everything he was wanting to teach us. But it goes backwards to chapter 1. Because did you notice how chapter 1 started it out like consider it joy to fall into various trials because it works to patience so what James has done here as he's written this letter and talked to these believers is as he's told us all of these great truths about what we should be doing and what we shouldn't be doing but chapter 1 really actually sums up what he's going to talk to about 2 through 5 by saying that he understands that it's hard And he's encouraging you right off the bat to get ready for what is about to come. And 
he says, it sets up the backdrop for two through five. He starts by saying he knows life is hard, but he believes that our trials are gifts that will mold us and shape our godly character. As in, he used the word perfect. Did you know he used the word perfect seven times, a total of seven times? But what we really need to understand about the word perfect doesn't mean like as in perfect and we will be perfect without sin this side of heaven. That word perfect in its original writings really meant it will actually represent holiness or wholeness as in one. So he's saying that I know it's not easy. And James did. After all, he was martyred for his belief. And they say that it was not too long after this letter was actually written. He understood how hard it was to live the life of a Christian and to live what his half-brother Jesus had instructed them to live. But he knew that when we face these times, when we go through those trials, when we are faced with what decision do I make, a godly decision to love or my own sin nature to just benefit me and however I can. He says, it will work to your good. It will work to patience. It will help you have wholeness. It will complete you. It's actually like a gift. And I know it's kind of hard to see a trial as a gift from God. But James believed wholeheartedly that he knew that he would work all things out for his glory and our good. Well, I hope you enjoyed this book of James and this journey that we took with them to learn what God would have us to do, how he would have us to act, and give us a little bit of hope knowing that it will all be okay in the end. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just love you. I just thank you so much for who you are, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning, the end, the one true God, the God of this universe, the God of all creation, the Godfather of your children that you have written this beautiful, beautiful letter to. Father, we know it's going to be hard. It's not easy to go through a trial and to see it as an instruction and an opportunity to gain holiness, to gain wholeness in ourselves and in our character and in our own hearts and minds to be able to know that we can overcome things through your strength and through your Holy Spirit and that we can actually testify to the fact to others because it's only upon when we truly do understand that you will walk us through this. You will be through it with us every bit of the way and it will 
in the end work out to our good that we can testify and witness to those around us of that blessed hope the hope that we have in your son and our savior's blood and the direction in our life through his spirit and through the living word thank you for this book thank you for all those listeners out there i pray that they have gotten as much from it as you have taught me and we thank you for hearing our prayer for it's in your son and our savior's name we pray amen thank you once again for taking another journey with me and i will see you next tuesday on my story his story our journey